Welcome to the Pacific College of Health and Science podcast channel. Today's podcast is part of a series called Private Practice Plus. The purpose of this podcast is to provide acupuncturists and other independent healthcare providers with ideas to expand their practices. By expand, I mean both grow the number of patients and clients you see, and also to expand the boundaries of your practice and your career. To that end, and to provide inspiration and ideas, I'm inviting practitioners who've had both busy private practices and who've also created businesses, written books, teach, or created other additional income streams beyond private practice. These projects can provide direct financial rewards or help build your brand, your recognition as a healer and expert in your particular area of healthcare. They can also bolster your enthusiasm for the field, the career you're in. As you will see in here, there are no shortages of opportunities for growth in the field of healthcare. Your patients, your clients, your community, and you will benefit from every effort you make to expand your career. I hope you enjoy the show. My first guest in this series is longtime friend of Pacific College and Pacific Symposium, Jake Fratkin. Jake was at the first Pacific Symposium in 1989. I still remember him guiding the audience in a Qigong exercise tracing the meridians. Jake has trained in Korean and Japanese acupuncture since 1975 and Chinese herbal medicine since 1982, including one year of advanced training in Beijing. He's the author of Essential Chinese Formulas, Chinese Herbal Patent Medicines, and TCM Case Studies in Autoimmune Disease with Dr. Shengping for People's Medical Publishing House. Jake has a wonderful extensive e-learning course on Pacific's Center for Lifelong Learning on the integration of traditional Chinese medicine and functional medicine. And I encourage you to check it out. We'll post the link in show notes. So welcome, Jake. Thanks for joining me from your beautiful home in Boulder, Colorado. I'm honored to be the first in the series. Well, we're honored to have you. Um, you've certainly set a standard for the theme of this podcast series. Um, as both a successful private practitioner, uh, seeing patients still, as well as having numerous um, other business ventures. And so I thought maybe you could start by telling us a little bit about just the balance that you keep between all those different activities. You know, maybe what proportion is still private practice and, and then, you know, your authorship, your herbal line, uh, your private, your public speaking, all those things. Well, when I started, which was when you started, Jack, this was like in the, we started in the late 70s, you know, in the early 80s. And there was three kinds of pioneers back then. And one of them went on to start schools. One of them went on to start herbal companies like John Scott. And, and others went on to just dedicate themselves to clinical practice. And if I was to put myself in any of those categories, it would be the clinical practitioner. And everything that I have done has come out of that. Everything is based on my clinical practice. So I see myself as a clinician first. I'm still a clinician. When I write my books, it was for other clinicians. When I taught classes, it was to help create clinicians. Um, so that's always been my focus. It's always been my focus. Sometimes I wished, oh, I wish I had started a school or I wish I had started an herbal company. Uh, but... I, I like what I do. I'm now 71 years old. I started practice charging money when I was 30. So I started training in when I was 25. About age 30, I started charging money. So I've been in this 40 years now. And I've stopped teaching oh, about a year and a half ago. I stopped teaching. I stopped pretty much writing also. So now I'm, I consider myself to be semi-retired. I work three days a week. Uh, my clinic is in my home. My wife, Dominique, runs the clinic, runs all the businesses, and we see patients Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, which means I don't have to shave two days in a row. <laughs> <laughs> it's really nice to work a day and then yeah. the next day. Work there a day you go. Personal day. goals for all the males in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> really. So I think I have a really good life. 
I just have one treatment room. We had um, we had a kind of that picture of the fire. We we had a regular clinic with three treatment rooms, and I had interns, and I was running around with my head cut off. And about 20 years ago, that that clinic uh, burned down, just wow. burned to the ground, and I moved into my wife's architectural offices in the house temporarily, and I have never left. Yeah. I have the best coffee in town. I have the, yeah. I have my dog. I have you know. Yeah. I, I had my kids growing up, and and uh, so I really have the life of Riley. You know. Yeah, yeah that's a really nice model. Um, would you think that a, if you were doing that twenty years ago, would the one treatment room support your lifestyle? Would that pay the rent? And- well, it did. It did, because 20 years ago, I was now reduced from three treatment rooms to one treatment room. But I made a decision very long ago that I would specialize in internal medicine, Mm -hmm. that I would not specialize in physical medicine. And in physical medicine, I think you can have two rooms or three rooms and move around. But with Mm -hmm. what I do, a lot of it is herbal medicine. Um, And I do a special kind of acupuncture. The one room works really well for me. Now, for your for your grad students i mean i don't know if that's the best economic model it's worked for me because 25 percent of my income is pharmacy mm-hmm. and uh and pharmacy is based on doing herbal medicine and internal medicine right. so if you're just going to do acupuncture i think it's much better to have two rooms yeah. and, and and go back and forth my son who's now 30 years old is also an acupuncturist and oh, congratulations that's really he's great to hear a couple of years he's just kicked butt you know just does physical medicine mm-hmm. and um he studied with Whit reeves i think he studied mm-hmm. with matt callison he yeah. studied a lot of systems including twain now and mm-hmm. all he does is physical medicine and right. people come in and they get off the bed and they say, I am better. They, they just yeah. know immediately. Sure. He doesn't do any internal medicine. He's not interested in herbs mm-hmm. uh, except topicals. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he's got a great uh, you know, potential for a practice with, yeah. with how he does what he does. Is he in Boulder as well? No, he recently moved with his fiance, who is also an acupuncturist herbalist. They moved to upper state New York where she is from. But he was working with me for, what, almost two years? Two years. Two years. Then Skelko came in. I gave them all to him. Yeah. Just didn't even want to see it. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that. We were just at lunch today with my VP of Academic Affairs and um, Academic Dean and with an old-time practitioner of ours, um, Dr. Min Fan, who were recruiting back into Pacific College to do more herbal training. And my deans were commenting that they're observing a lot of acupuncturists who aren't using herbs. And that really, really surprised me. Um, and it's, it's very disappointing for two reasons. One, at a school like Pacific College, they spend a lot of time invested in learning that subject. The other is that they're dismissing an enormous part of Chinese medicine. Um, and so I suggested that we reframe the, the whole conversation rather than saying you need to study herbs, it's do you want to be able to treat internal disorders? Do you want to be able to treat infertility, dysmenorrhea, you know, digestive complaints, you know, the whole range of internal medicine that there is? And I think that would inspire more of the grads to remember the herbs that they studied. Um, And I mean, there are so many resources that they can reach out to to supplement um, their their uh, library let's say in their clinic so they don't have to remember everything you know these days with databases and the texts like yours you can um, you can really refresh your your uh, your knowledge of herbal medicine and apply it in your patients so again I just was very surprised but I say I take the uh, contrary view I've always oh, good the view that, <laughs> make interesting <laughs> that all acupuncturists should not be forced to study herbal medicine in, in, oh yeah I'm not for forcing anybody to do anything they don't want but, but you know the Chinese the model in China which is you do an acupuncture training yeah. three years and then yeah. if you do herbal medicine you do another two to five years and even in this country, I, 
I think it's a shame that every state requires herbal medicine when people are not going to use them, don't know how to use them, yeah, don't want to use them. Yeah. It, it, shouldn't, it should not be required. But the yeah. fact is, it is required in most states. New York, it's not, by the way. You can right, just yeah. acupuncture. Yeah. But, uh, but the herbal medicine, I'm, I'm disappointed in the, in the attention given to herbal medicine by clinicians after they leave school. Yeah, right. And that would It's very difficult to do well, is my belief. It's difficult. Oh, difficult to practice Chinese herbal medicine. Well, it, it requires more training, more, yeah, experience, more experience. Study. Yeah, more study. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think so. Interesting. Um, well, maybe some additional uh, inspiration for those in our audience that are considering herbs is one thing that you mentioned, and that is twenty-five percent of your income comes from the sale of herbs. Did you mean to your patients or you, in addition to that, your ancillary, just your patients? About to my patients. Yeah. So, income. But I work with also supplements, nutritional supplements. So it's right. not just herbs, but yeah. um, the lion's share is herbs. I mean, everybody yeah. works with herbs and some, maybe sometimes supplements. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to follow up a little bit with that. Um, you know, I'd referenced your course on our Center for Lifelong Learning in Functional Medicine. Um, very interesting that you're able to integrate both the TCM and functional medicine. I mean, there's so much in common already. Um, but um, to what extent are you doing um, lab tests and using sort of what we might call non-TCM uh, formulas or supplements? Well, that's a good question. I mean... What happens with um, the the supplements is every the the, the herbs is still the foundation. So yeah. what's unique about my functional medicine course is that we talk about the subjects of functional medicine and relevant lab testing, but then we focus on the Chinese herbal approach to treat those problems. Because my belief, my clinical experience is Chinese herbs are much more powerful than nutritional medicines. Mm. They really are. And then naturopaths and, and DCs who are just using nutritional supplements are spending, their patients are spending a lot of money and they're not getting the results that they're promised. So they're taking like yeah. 10, 12 products a day and, and it's really inefficient. Whereas if yeah. the herbal medicine is the foundation and then the supplements support that, it's much more efficient. Oh, yeah. 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 So, so so <laughs> well, say, how, how about say, if, I think it might be interesting, a real quick case study, just like, you know, where the, um, what kind of Chinese medicine formula and what kind of nutritional supplement has a synergistic effect? Okay. So, I mean, a lot of people have uh, loose stools. I mean, they're coming with diarrhea or loose stools, and they want to be treated for this. And there are certain Chinese herbal formulas that I keep coming back to over and over and over again. Wu Mei San, which was a Shanghan Lung formula, and it's really old, uh, is a great formula for diarrhea related to either parasites or dysbiosis. And then we add to that a patent medicine called Huanglian Su, which is a pharmaceutical extract of Kapta Huanglian. Hard to get now, getting harder to get, although Plumflower offers a version. Um, it's really good for bad, for SIBO. You hear about small intestine bowel sure. bacterial sure. overgrowth. and. Yeah. Yeah. It responds really well to Huanglianzu. Mm -hmm. So those are two Chinese medicines that we'll start with. Now, we can reinforce that with products from Zymogen or Thorn or mm -hmm. uh, Designs for Health. They all have products that will deal with, you know, intestinal upset due to microbes and so on. So that's how I integrate. I'll, I'll use yeah. the Chinese herbs to attack it from a Chinese Zong Fu basis and then the... Mm -hmm naturopathic, functional, nutritional medicines that are evidence supported. I mean, think about Zymogen and Thorn and Designs for Health and all these other yeah. companies is they're all going back to the, the evidence. And, mm. and uh, you can't, you know, they'll come up with a very original thing. Who knew zinc was good for peptic ulcer, right? But they have a special zinc mm. extract that is good for, for, you know, peptic ulcer. And, and so I, I will always integrate medicines like that. Mm -hmm. that, that's what, how I work the practice. We usually take functional nutritional products with, um, with herbal yeah. forms. Rarely do I use herbs in isolation. Oh, so okay. either a product 
from mm -hmm. one of the companies like Golden Flower, Connor, yeah. or Herbal Times or so on. And I'll give a, a nutritional supplement based on some sort of evidence. Gotcha. How long have you had this approach? At least 30 years. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Oh, I, think least, I was lucky when I started recent. practice. Uh, I ended up in New Mexico, Santa Fe, and I had a, two a medical doctor and one chiropractor partners who were totally into functional medicine. Okay. So they were exposing me to these medicines. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's I was quite, quite early. And practice was very slow down there because everybody was broke. So we had a lot of time to cross-pollinate each other and talk <laughs> to each other about what we would do for problems if they ever happened to come in the door. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, let me pick up on that and ask you a little bit about your inspiration and role models. You know, you've been an inspiration for so many in our field now, the second and third generation of acupuncturists, but who, uh, who came before you? Well, I was lucky. I mean, I started acupuncture training in an apprenticeship program with a Korean master who's still alive and still practicing, Dr. Neon Moon, who lives in Newport Beach, California. And this okay. guy was like dropped out of heaven for me. And I studied with him on and off for seven years. Uh -huh. And he had very much of a meridian uh, balancing approach to acupuncture, it was not TCM. Mm -hmm. And he was a character, he was just a character. I would say, how come you never talk about wind damp? And how come you never talk about, you know, uh, exogenous colors? Ah, all that stuff is, he says, just because somebody wrote it down in a book doesn't mean it's valuable, you know? <laughs> and for him, everything was balance the acupuncture channels, balance the acupuncture channels. Uh -huh. Which is the, yeah. the acupuncture system I started in and stayed in, although it's, a, it's certainly evolved since uh -huh. then. All right. and my other teachers in acupuncture, after Dr. Moon, I went to China, I learned herbs, or I practiced, you know, learned hospital level herbs. And I came back and, um, and I started, I, I wanted to get back, I didn't like TCM acupuncture at that point. I think it's really good for musculoskeletal, but I was very not into it on the Zongfu level that we're going to mm -hmm. treat kidney seven as a kidney yang point and mm -hmm. kidney three as a kidney yin point. And I'm thinking, really? Is that really true? Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to get back to meridian balancing and I got in with Dr. Mikishima and his people. Uh, and I, that opened up a whole bunch of doors going back to Yoshio Monica and, and so sure, on. Sure. And I've stayed not just with Dr. Shima. Afterwards, I studied with Shudo Denmai and all the meridian therapy people that started coming into mm -hmm. the, the country and and uh, really, that's what I practice. I, I would say I, I definitely practice Japanese-style mm -hmm. acupuncture rather yeah. than Chinese-style acupuncture. And patients like it. It's very gentle. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely popular. Um, how much of your differentiation is based then on pulse diagnosis versus uh, questioning the patients? I really separate acupuncture from herbal medicine. Uh -huh. So actually... All the acupuncture I did was based on pulses, but eventually I got into computerized meridian diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And that's what I use to this day. I rely on to this day. There's a couple of systems out there that are good. Uh, the one that I use is AccuGraph, which, um, which everybody knows about. And the other one was mm -hmm. the Meridian Energetic Analysis Device, which was from Taiwan. So these are meridian diagnostic computer. Mm -hmm. And so... I started using the AccuGraph because I like Meridian Diagnosis and buried in there was a menu which went back to Mickey Shima's divergent channel, eight extra channel approach that he evolved from Monica. And it's just buried in there. And I went, wow, we couldn't do it before. It was so complicated. They were doing it with incense sticks to see. Yeah, it was a Akibana. Yeah, Akibana. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was horrible. It was painful, and it took forever, and you had to do all these math calculations. And now with the computer, you you, you diagnose the, the meridians, and boom, they tell you, here's the treatment. And you can choose yeah. to do the treatment or not, They but they show you which channels are excess, which channels are, are, are deficient. Sure. So I don't do pulses anymore for acupuncture. I just do, um, I just do the uh, AccuGraph. But Dr. Moon taught me the value of muscle testing. He would muscle test to find excesses and deficiencies on the channels. Mm -hmm. And his and that was uh, Mickey Shima's forte as well, yeah. Yeah, well, he would do O-ring testing. O -ring, so, yeah. oh, so, so Dr. Moon was okay. testing the muscle. Right. Mickey was doing O-ring, which tested the patient's O-ring, which I didn't like. So I just started O-ring testing myself. Uh -huh. 
because I'm constant, I'm consistent. And, and then I got to a point where I never put a needle in the body unless the body told me it needed a needle in that place. You know, mm -hmm. so my fingers became diagnostic, not just by feeling, but by muscle testing. So I had a feedback system on acupuncture, which I still have. Mm -hmm. I rely on. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, there's a lot of tricks I have that are based on muscle testing. And I, every time I used to teach, I would teach it, but only about 15% of the people would feel comfortable doing it. You know, maybe 20%. Yeah, know? it's another, I mean, it's another developed skill. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just like pulses or whatever, he takes practice. It's just applicable to, to, to meridian uh, yeah. work. It's not applicable to herbal work. Yeah. Really. I wish it was. Uh -huh. It could be, yeah. but. So what are you doing for herbs in terms of differentiation? Well, for herbs, and here's where I'm really off on my own tangent here. There's a couple other people with me on this, but I use a machine from Germany, which is electrodermal testing. And I've been using that since 1988. I came back from China and I said, I, I got to find out which herbs might trigger people in a bad way. And I got exposed to people using uh, electrodermal testing. And the machine I ended up using was called the Vega test, which they don't have them anymore. And they're very expensive in Germany. And hmm. but I still use it on every patient. I use it for herbal testing. And I have to tell you that a lot of my knowledge about herbs comes from using that machine. If I see Wumei-san shows up all the time for intestinal problems, it leads me to think Wumei-san is really good for intestinal uh -huh. problems, you know? So it's a lot of reverse teaching for me. I would love to invent a device that would be a cheap way of doing electrodermal testing, but I, this has been my, my holy cross I've been looking for and I've not been able to find something cheap enough. Because if I did, I would certainly go back to teaching and just teach people how to do electrodermal testing to choose, to choose, you know? Uh -huh. You know, so I, I keep, medicines in a box so it'll say antiviral and i'll have like all my antivirals and i'll just test to see which one is best for that patient you know uh -huh. or i have like uh uh just digestive i'll have three or four buckets of digestive formulas and just see which one works for people mm -hmm. and then I'll, I'll devise my formulas based out of that was there any ever any research done on the use of the machine in germany or wherever not to, to, to my knowledge Mm -hmm. Heiner Feuhoff, who sure. works up at National up in Portland, he's, oh, yeah. he's German. He's a big user proponent. He wrote an article oh. defending the machine. Okay. And as far as research, he might know. Yeah. Um, I thought when I studied it 30 years ago, man, everybody's going to have one of these things. But it's disappeared. I mean, even in yeah. Germany, it's disappeared. Yeah. It's just nowhere. So yeah. I stand alone on this. It's, it's, it's the basis of my clinical practice. But but I, I can't teach it because there's no cheap machines out there. Yeah. yeah. And I think one of the holy grails in our field is consistency, mm -hmm. right? You see some practitioners that are getting such great results, others that aren't as great. And how do we quantify, how do we replicate what the best practitioners are doing so that it doesn't, you know, while we think it may be reducing some of the art of what we do, if we can make everybody practitioners, better practitioners, it seems like that would be a, a tremendous advance, whether it's quantifying, you know, electrostimulation or the diagnosis uh, uh, methods that you're using. Anything that we could do to really quantify that and validate it would seem to be a, a step, right? That's a long way away. And I think that's all going to come from China. You know, yeah, interesting. Yeah. It's all going to come that the future of the validity of our profession is not going to be generated in the United States. It's going to come from China. And they're very interested. Xi Jinping, he loves Chinese medicine. He And he loves scientific research. And I'm sure they're really putting on the dog to try to rescue TCM over there. Mm. When I was in China, and I was there for almost a year in clinic, I was struck by how little doctors relied on pulses and tongue, you know that they really relied on their clinical experience and the clues that the patient presented, mostly in terms of their history. Yeah. It wasn't really done in palpation. It wasn't really done in um, pulses. Tongue was rarely used. I mean, my belief today is tongue is helpful 15% of the time, you know, and when it is helpful, being it's great, but 85% of the time it gives you nothing. 
And I saw that in China, they paid very little attention to it, but their clinical skill was the clues that the patient gave them. Sure. So there was a book I worked on. This was um, the TCM yeah. auto. Yeah, I mentioned book. that with, with Chung publishing house. Yeah. And this was a privilege for me to work on. Basically it's a very famous uh, doctor in Chengdu who does autoimmune and he wrote case histories and I just basically made his book, palp, you know, yeah, uh, readable. You know. Yeah, translate it. And, uh, and it's the same thing. It was the same thing. It wasn't about pulses and tongue. It was about the, the, the information he got and then yeah. his knowledge of herbs. Mm -hmm. But of course with him, everything was tongue. Everything was soup. And, he would, he would adjust a formula. Well, I added 100 grams of aconite foodsa for a daily dose, you know. <laughs> if they want to add something, they just throw it in the pot, you know. And, and I wrote him back, and, you know, he would give formulas that were 400, 500 grams for a daily dose. And, and in his case studies, he would say, patient discontinued, cannot afford the therapy. And this is in China, right? So I wrote him back and I said, look, you know, we work mostly, what I work with is mixed powders, you know, extract granules and sure. I'll get a hundred gram bottle and, and I can just put in so much. I can't add a hundred grams of foods in yeah, yeah. a hundred gram bottle. And I wrote him back and I said, no one's, no one's going to take those kind of doses here. Uh -huh. And he said, well, you'll never get any results. Uh -huh. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, Speaking of herbs, um, you oh, have I I your do. own herb line, and um, I noticed that you mentioned that they're stronger than yeah. other tinctures. Um, is that, um, I mean, what makes them strong? I mean, is it more of the herb in each bottle, or is it a, a stronger Both. extract? Yeah, well... Uh, I can tell you what's your source for the herbs? Yeah, um, I'd like to hear more about them. The line started when the SARS epidemic happened. So 17 uh, years ago, we now know that. Right. <laughs> and so I was teaching about SARS and how the Chinese mm -hmm. were treating it. And, and, and basically, I realized that the Chinese were telling everybody via television and newspapers, take these herbs, take these formulas. And they had generated... Uh, a couple of formulas uh -huh. that they, they didn't provide to people. They said, but they listed uh -huh. the ingredients and the percentages. And they said, here's a formula for prevention. Here's a formula mm -hmm. for treatment. And so those were my first two products. And one came out as, it was called Clear yeah. Toxin. And, yeah. um, and the other one was called Immune Plus. Uh -huh. And originally they were called Swine Season <laughs> Immune Plus. And then it was called Swine Season Clear Toxin. And then the FDA sent out notices. They had to wow to everybody. You can't use the word yeah. flu. You can't use the word swine. You can't use the word pig, you know, okay. because you're taking advantage of a vulnerable society. Gotcha. So we changed the labels. Yeah. But those are my first two formulas. Yeah. And my formulas originally were things I commonly made. So when I lived in Santa Fe, yeah. I learned how to do herbal extracts from the Western herbalists that were living uh -huh. there. Yeah, uh, these were these were the guys doing it, and they taught me how to do it. And I ended up doing extracts. If you go to Whole Foods, a typical alcohol extract will have about eh, twenty-five grams of herbs, and it'll have about twenty-five percent alcohol. Okay, that's oh. your typical. You got to be twenty-one to buy that. <laughs> What's that? I said, you have to be 21 to buy that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. And then, uh, but they would cook it for two weeks. So they could extract a lot more out of it. So my friend in Santa Fe said, you can do a quick turnover here. So we put in 100 grams of herbs and 50% of alcohol. And, and that's still. And so this is made by Vitality Works in, um, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And they make every herbal tincture that you see on any shelf of any over-the-counter line, whether oh, it's okay. Whole Foods or okay. natural grocers or anybody, he makes them. They make them. Uh -huh. So he makes my tinctures also. Okay. And he says, these are the strong, I insisted, I want 100 grams of herbs, 50% alcohol per bottle. He said, these uh -huh. are the strongest things we make. He says, these yeah. are really strong. So they are really strong. And, um, yeah. you know, and I think they're what they call, they're, they're like the cost of other people's tinctures, you know. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. 
So you get the raw the the raw herbs from China delivered well, yeah, to Vitality I Herbs I get them from Santa California. Oh, yeah. you know, and they're all lab tested. You know, uh, I, I, I use the importers. You know, yeah. I particularly I use new herbs. I use plum flower, and you, you, these herbs are tested. There's there's laboratory yeah. backup if batch yeah, that's good. so. Right. Everything's there, and you can get all, all organic or wildcrafted, which I do. Oh, wow. uh, so the the quality is great. I hate when people say, "Oh, Johnny's herbs are all adulterated," but we can prove they're not. Yeah, <laughs> we oh, can do it clean. Yeah. Yeah. So good, good to know. Yeah. yeah, but the thing about selling herbs, if you're a practitioner, is you don't have to be there. You can listen over the phone and figure out what they need and leave it for them at the door and. And with a receipt, and they, they leave you a check. It's a, it's another good way to get passive income if you're running yeah. a practice. You don't yeah, have sure. to be patient. Yeah. Like, um, do you market the herbs to uh, other practitioners as well? I do. I do. There's, I'm, I'm, in terms of the world of herbal producers, yeah. we must be the smallest group in America. We do so little marketing. We do no marketing. I have a mailing list on MailChimp. Anytime someone asks me to be on LinkedIn, who's an acupuncturist, I put them in that list. Yeah, got my it. list is quite small, uh -huh. a couple thousand, you know, two, yeah. three thousand. But if people contact me, then I, I put them on my mailings. And I do mailings every couple of months to let them know what's happening. You mm -hmm. probably saw one of my mailings. Yeah, sure. Um, where the real sales go is to my patients. Yeah. You know, I, if I can give one of my own tinctures to my patients, it's easier for me. I don't have, sure. to, make a, I don't have to make a formula. Right. Yeah, right, exactly. And, you know, maybe sounding a little bit mercenary, but you've cut out the middlemen. Right. And that, that's why it's helping to generate 25% of your income, where I would imagine if I were prescribing, um, you know, some of the more readily available ones and I'm paying a wholesale price, it's gonna, I'm not going to make 25%. I don't agree. I don't agree. I, I, before we started selling our own products, we were used to just selling everybody else, and we're still selling it. Yeah. I carry everybody. I have a pharmacy with 500 products in it, and it's plum flower, mm -hmm. and it's new herbs, and it's con, and it's golden flower, and it's uh -huh. you know, uh, uh, Guangxi, and it's all, all these companies. Yeah, you know, and so patient doesn't just get charged his his visit; he gets charged for medicines, and the typical patient will pay between. 120 and 150 dollars for a month's supply of what I want to give them. Mm -hmm. Okay, and half of that is mine. Yeah, because when you when you sell a product, you double what you paid for it. Sure. Acupuncturists mm -hmm. that aren't doubling the prices of their wholesale prices are missing an opportunity here. So we yeah. double it. Sure. So it it never. I always make money from selling a product, and yeah. so does the person who sold it to me. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, good. Yeah. For someone today that wanted to create an herbal line, um, still feasible, do you think? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of competition. Um, of course, everybody, now if you put CBD in it, <laughs> you're going <laughs> to, everything's got CBD in it. You don't have to put anything else in it either. <laughs> right? It's, if CBD lives up to its hype, we won't need anything else but that. Right. Um, yeah, how come you don't have a CBD line yet? <laughs> I don't use it. I don't. I yeah. don't. I don't go there. I don't know enough about it to yeah. use it medically. Yeah, so don't go there. Yeah, but personally, I, I don't go there. But many years ago, John Scott said, "I want to start an herbal line," mm -hmm. and he started Golden Flower. And I said, "John, the last thing we need is another herbal line." I mean, right. I, twenty I years ago, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and now he's probably one of the biggest. Uh, most profitable of the Chinese herbal lines out there. Well, I'm really you know, happy he, to hear that. He said to me recently, he says, and you were the guy who told me that they didn't need it. <laughs> but for him, it was marketing yeah. and, 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 and patient support. He was so good yeah. with education and, and support for his people that people are loyal to him. Yeah, well, I mean, sharing this with the, the audience here that John Scott has donated every year for the last many years um, a considerable amount of money to our students. So we're able to offer 
each of our campuses, a student every year, a thousand dollar scholarship from Golden Flower. So he uh, does that at every school. Yeah, it's amazing. Every school. And it's not just a self-product. Yeah. He really believes in the profession because yeah. he's a practitioner first. Yep. He's a yeah. practitioner first. And he'll love me saying this, a great guitar player too. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know if you remember this, but um, many years ago you suggested that providing herbal formulas to racehorses was a great business idea um, because they need the same herbs; they just need a lot more of them. Um, I just got to ask: Did anything ever come of that idea? Well, there was three of us involved in that, and. Uh, one Chinese guy, one Chinese TCM or me and one nutritional guy. And we made all these products, right? Mm -hmm. And Thor decided they were going to buy everything and sell it. And it wasn't two months into it that they said, well, we don't know anything about Chinese herbs. So we're going to cut out the Chinese herbal part of those formulas. Oh, no kidding. Which oh, is well. going to sell the Western. Oh. But one of the Chinese guys, he started uh, Xia Shen. He started the Qi Institute in Florida, which is only for veterinarians. Oh, and, um, yeah, sure. He makes his own horse formulas. He was one of the teachers yeah. on that. And we, okay. he and I and another person created those formulas. Yeah, they eat, they eat 30 grams a day. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so I loved working with them and I loved working with the horses, but these kind of marketing ideas are not my forte. Maybe there's some in our audience, though, here now on the East or West Coast, rather. There's plenty of racehorses out here. That's a business opportunity for them. <laughs> I don't have to reinvent the wheel. She has got his books published with all his formulas. Yeah. Right. He's amazing. He's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. Yeah. So, any uh, future books for you, Jake? Or if it was, in fact, why don't we back up? I mean, what was the uh, inspiration for the Herbal Patent Medicines book? I mean, those were standard for the longest time. Yeah. And, and now you have an update, right? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, Jack, I, I appreciate you thinking I'm this great businessman, which is really kind of a joke. Because <laughs> I make the biggest business mistakes one after another oh you got to make a lot of mistakes to find to find the right way it was a patent medicine book i wrote in 1986 i think the first edition sounds about right. okay. okay and it sold thirty-five thousand copies you know right Thirty-five thousand. so this was written before i knew anything it was just like my interest i was living up in seattle going to the chinatown stores and being attracted to the bottles and wondering what's this, what's that. And I had to translate most from the inserts, you know, with my rudimentary Chinese translate right. what was in them and what they were for. Uh -huh. And that became this. And this became very popular in the Chinatown herb stores. And then students started picking up. I yeah. revised it and made this one. In 2001, this was a big selling. What, why this was great was the pictures. This became yeah. this became like the PDR. Right. Chinese medicines and had like 1,200 products in it. It was really yeah. But over the years, I realized that half this stuff you can find outside of Chinatown herb stores. Oh, yeah. So it's really not very practical. There's yeah. my friend Whit Reeves who said, Jake, you got to reduce it to something much simpler. So I did. And I, I made this book in 2014, 2014 a central Chinese formulas. And now we have 225 products that I go into in depth, but then I list everybody's products that are out there and, and where they'd be organized. And I'm immensely proud of this book, but I made a fundamental error. I made a fundamental error. I called it Essential Chinese Formulas, and all the schools say, oh, we already got really good books on Chinese formulas. And uh, I should have called it Essential Chinese Patent Medicines. Uh, right? yeah, yeah. Because when the schools went to choose patent medicine books, they chose Will McLean's book because it said patent medicines. You know, they, I wanted them to use this as a recommended book for NCCAOM. So yeah. nobody knows about this book. It's sitting in my garage, but it's a great book. This is this really has my clinical information and my and my summations. This is a great book. I'm I'm very proud of it. Oh, so right. if viewers don't have this book, yeah, right. We'll have, and we'll have to check with our deans here. Yeah, uh, <laughs> for sure. It's a great book. It, it's, yeah. it's fabulous, and we put it on Kindle, but uh, uh, and we called it on the Kindle version, patent medicines. Uh huh. All right. You know I. 
I remember, of course, everything I remember back in the day, right? I, I was talking to Harriet Beinfield about between heaven and earth. Yeah. And how it was going to be so successful. And, and she said that she'd probably end up making minimum wage because of the amount of time and effort it goes into creating something like that. Um, yeah. I mean, how's that been for you? I mean, do you, do you notice the royalty checks? or do you, I mean, or is it just kind of a... Not, I guess, not on this, not on no. this baby. <laughs> but, <laughs> but this one was great. Yeah. And this one, this one was great. We sold a lot of those. This one I wrote from nine to twelve p.m. Uh, nine nine p.m. to twelve a.m. on Quantro, and then I wondered why my blood sugar went up so much. <laughs> this one got written in the morning, uh, nine a.m. to twelve a twelve p.m. in the morning. Right. Uh, okay, gotcha. So the key is, to, if you want a book to be successful, you need to do it at night. <laughs> need discipline. Yeah, it is. It is a routine, right? Yeah. And something to say, I mean, it's nice in the case of those books that your interests paralleled a need in the marketplace. Right? Yeah. And well, I mean, I was on the surf there as it was going and I was teaching a lot. I was going once or twice a month to teach something about Chinese herbal products. And, and I would always yeah. sell books at my, at my talks. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah interesting. I, we were talking again today at lunch uh, with my deans and teacher uh, about the opportunities that exist for new practitioners. And um, I mean, we speculated in, you know, in 20 minutes, we could probably come up with 30 different subjects that need to still be written about, you know, in our medicine. And I'm sure that's, I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? Um, but there's so many opportunities and it doesn't, again, doesn't need to be a magnum opus, right? It doesn't need to be the great American novel. It could be even just starting with articles. And that, that was how Giovanni started. I mean, he wrote the um, Eight Extraordinary Vessels article in um, one of the journals, and maybe it was Peter Dedman's journal, Chinese Medicine, you know, in the early 80s. And that there was no other source for that information, right? And it really started his career. I, um, and, you know, and he was able, obviously, to follow through with classic texts. But um, you never know where a small project can lead in the future. Well, people, you know, see, we're asking what can practitioners do to increase their income, right? Mm -hmm. And, well, first thing is you want to max out your patient load. You, and I said this to my son, I said, ask yourself, you know, how much money do you need to, to accomplish your immediate needs? How many patient treatments will give you that? Mm -hmm. And just design your week in terms of, I need 20 treatments to do 20 treatments this week in order to meet my goal mm -hmm. or whatever. And then you keep working up to that. And so the foundation is always the clinical practice. And then what you charge is based on what you can get and what you think is fair. Sure. And, and, and that, that's always your foundation is your clinical practice. Then how do you build your clinical practice? Well, you give talks. You go and give talks or demonstrations. You go right. to gyms. You go to libraries. Yeah. You give demonstrations. If you can get somebody with a frozen shoulder and then they get off the table and now they're going like this. Yeah. They're going compelling. To yeah. Especially in physical medicine. Yeah. And that's how I started. That's how I mm -hmm. built up my practice was giving little freebie talks. I'd give for newborn mothers. I'd give for um, uh, uh, certain subjects, you know, and, and people would come and, uh, and they'd just hear me talk about a subject with some amount of knowledge and then they'd come as patients. Right. So giving talks was always the best way for me. Absolutely. I mean, it's they see you, hear you. Of course, public speaking is many people's greatest fear. Mm. But we have a real advantage in our medicine in that it can be so visually compelling. And so you said demonstrations. An alternative is, you know, the old slideshow. Now it's PowerPoint. Yeah, it's right? But take pictures of acupuncture points, patients, herbs, moxa cupping it's all interesting yeah, right love it. so you go into a groom and say i'm going to present a show on acupuncturist on acupuncture rather and will somebody just get the lights right and then you do the show it's not so uh intimidating at that point You're right four people in the audience one of, them will come. Totally. one of them will come yeah it's worth it 
you know? Right. Yeah, for sure. You know, and then when you're done with your sideshow, turn on the lights and then you just ask, answer questions. That's easy to do. Nobody expects that to be, you know, the state of the union and totally slick. It's just, you know, you and me talking, right? Yeah. So um, the public speaking doesn't have to be as uh, a fear inspiring as, as many practitioners yeah. might think yeah. it is. Yeah. You know, there's, it, there's associations for every disease known to man. And you can find indexes of these. And I think the practitioners that are out there now, you may not even have to go to the city where that particular association is holding its meetings. Now mm -hmm. you can have this kind of environment, right? Where they just beam you in. This is the future. Can, right? Yeah. So, so it's, uh, uh, yeah, you, you definitely, you, I think you hit it on the, on the head though. You, to build your practice, you have to get out there. Um, but uh, to the best of my knowledge, there hasn't been a pill invented that cures all the stuff that acupuncture and Chinese herbs can help. So yeah. uh, there's still tremendous, tremendous opportunity. And like what you've done, there's also these other streams, right? So one of the things we suggest is start to have some level of specialization, right? So if you've got an affinity for some aspect of our medicine, whether it's a technique, whether it's a patient population, just start to learn a little bit more about that. Next thing you know, I'll be calling you to say, hey, can you speak at Pacific Symposium, right? Yeah. Now you have another income stream. Next thing you know, all the schools are calling you to do their CEU events. You know, you write an article for acupuncture today, whatever it is, right? You just do that little bit extra, sets you apart and starts yeah. those additional streams. I mean, you mentioned specialization and there's some areas that right away acupuncturists can start finding patients. And one, of course, is uh, in vitro fertilization. The in vitro fertilization is all out of pocket. Insurance doesn't mm -hmm. cover it. Mm -hmm. So the doctors doing that want to increase their success rate. And the best way, of course, is acupuncture and herbs. Okay. But even if you just do acupuncture, you can you can work in these clinics. You can reach out to these doctors and 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 and, and get work through these people. Another underserved community in our world are, are kids. Naturopaths have, have, have taken up all the kids. TCMers are scared to work with kids, which is yeah. crazy because they respond really fast. Sure. They, they yeah. heal really easily. Totally. They're, they're a great testament to what we do. You know, yeah. like I said, they're chi is volatile. People should not be scared. Yeah. Yeah. Another one that I'm always disappointed in that is geriatrics. Yeah. I mean, as, as I approach that demographic, you know, uh, we start to have different kinds of problems. I'm a user. <laughs> right, I'm a user now. Um, and yet, it would seem like the most logical specialization, but I don't see that being that popular. That My friend Whit Reeves said, I used to be terrified of treating old people, yeah. really old, you yeah. know, above 80. And I used to be terrified of treating them because I was so afraid I might ruin it or that might hurt them. And he says, then I found out if I just do the gentlest work around the supraspinatus muscles, mm. they come off and they feel so good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just doing the most gentle work along the spine. Yeah. They love it, you know? yeah. it doesn't take much to, to help people. You know? Right. That's a good point. Yeah. And we have so much to offer. Um, you know, I wanted to, be able to kind of keep this in a short format, respect your time. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I really, really appreciate you being willing to take time out of your day, introduce me. It's nice seeing Dominique and your new family member, your new dog. There you go. I, <laughs> uh, is Dominique going to start translating some of the French classics, uh, Vanille and Soulier uh, de Moran? We have them in the house. Yeah, that's another, that's another thing that the profession could use. Well, we don't know anything about, I mean, I do, but most people don't know anything about the French influence. Right. Yeah, it would be, it would be a value to our profession. I met Dominique because I was sponsored by Yves Recanat to teach Qigong in sure. France. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And does he, Yves still have his institute there in Aix-en-Provence? Yeah, he does. he does. And he, you know, there's a lot of Frenchmen who just invented very unique systems that yeah. uh, are very interesting, very interesting systems. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot out there, a lot of potential, especially with acupuncture. I mean, I think the herbs, I, I always go back to, you know, modern China hospital herbal medicine. Mm 
uh-huh. and which means I don't go towards Japanese campo personally. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it just cannot be beat, you know? Uh-huh. And, but with acupuncture, we have so many kinds of acupuncture out there, yeah. all of which work. I mean, all yeah. of which work, you know? Yeah, good and, to know. Yeah, I mean, all, we have plenty. But what I would, my advice to any practitioner is, first of all, keep studying. Just there's no end to study. Yeah, there's no yeah, end. I'm glad NCCOM requires 15 hours a, a year. You know, so keeping studying keeps you fresh and mm-hmm. and, uh, and and expands your horizons. The other thing is, if you can specialize, do specialize. I know now people are specializing in neuro uh, acupuncture and, and people specializing in in dermatology. You have Mazan come in and, and you have people specializing all over the place. Of course, gynecology and, yeah. you, you know. Well, it's, and, a win, it's a win-win, right? I mean, it's an area you're interested in. So yeah. you have that inspiration. It makes you better at treating the patients that you're seeing because you're specialized in it and it kind of, and it sets you apart. So uh, there's a lot of uh, reasons to do that. If I can make one more plug for myself. I mean, so one is I, I sell my own alcohol tinctures to only to practitioners. I don't sell them to yeah. retail to the public. Uh, you can go to my website and, and yeah, see. And, we'll, and we'll, I think we can put a link up too when we, when we send this out. So we're happy to do that, Jake. We've and for Golden Flower, I created the children's line many years ago. Oh, nice. Which that is, has less alcohol? Yes. Let's say it's for all children. I say it's for under two-year-olds. You know, it's okay. Right. okay. Two-year-olds. And so we have one for common cold. We have one for ear infection. We have one for cough. We have one for stomach upset. Nice. We have one for um, immune enhancement. And yeah. so they're real convenience. And kid, kids love the taste, you know? Yeah. So yeah. That, I'll take those then too. <laughs> Yours I'll I'll use on the weekend. <laughs> I know. Mine, yeah, mine you gotta roll up your sleeves, you know. But I give it to kids, you know, I give it to kids. I tell them to put maple syrup in it or honey. Yeah, there you go. You know? <laughs> hey Jake, well thanks again. I really appreciate your time. Nice seeing you, Dominique. And what's your dog's name? Anya, Anya. Anya. Anya is a star. She went to chase squirrels. Okay. Hey, man, we'll sign it off. I could talk to you forever, but uh, we'll keep it in a normal format. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye.